So podcast, welcome back to another episode. And this episode is going to be the raw audio from a recent speech that I gave at the Speak Your Strength meetup. So if you don't know already, I ran a meetup in London, a the first official Speak Your Strength meetup, trying to get as many people into a room as possible to talk about mental health, give it the conversation that needs to be had. And I expected maybe 10 people to turn up and just under 40 people turned up and I wanted to just run the audio of my full presentation to you and this is me at my most vulnerable honestly this is me at my most vulnerable I didn't really know where this was going to go there was no slides there was no preparation it was just me standing up in front of everyone there talking from the heart about my dad's suicide and more importantly as well how I dealt with it so badly and Hopefully my vulnerability can help you in this episode. So let's just dive into it. What I want to talk a little bit about today at the beginning is how I dealt with my dad's suicide. So obviously I'll talk about my dad and his sort of battles with depression. Um, I'll talk about that story, but I won't go into as much detail as I have done before, because what I really want to talk about is sort of my story, yeah? And how I dealt with that um, sort of life-changing moment and how it made me feel and give you some practical advice to come away from it. Now, some mental health events and meetups I've been to in the past, I've said to someone, I've come away and I felt worse than I did walking into the room. Because it's very heavy. Like when you hear people's stories, it is very heavy to take it all on board. And my issue is I'm, I'm very attached to people's stories. I'm getting a lot better. Um, so I want all of you to walk away today and actually feel a little bit more inspired, a little bit more positive, have a toolbox to sort of reach to when you feel down. And I've got some people who's going to be speaking about different methods that have helped them. And I'll explain what helped me. So um, in terms of the story, so I grew up in a quite normal household, as you would say normal. And, you know, my mum and dad were married. They had my brother. Two years later, they had me, family of four, three-bedroom house, upgrade to a four-bedroom house in quite an, you know, an average neighborhood. Very normal life. Um, I went to school, was quite good at school, I liked football, played football, general sort of guy, you know, friends at school. And I remember one guy, and this always sticks to me, one boy from school said, Paul, you've got everything in life. You've got a girlfriend, you've got um, a mum and dad that are together, you've got a house, you've got, you're clever, you've got this. And when he said that to me, it, it just didn't feel right. I was like, but I'm not, I haven't got all of that. I was very insecure growing up. I was very, I didn't have a lot of confidence, low self-esteem. And um, I went to college, um, the same sort of household dynamic. My mum did everything, cooking, cleaning. My dad worked hard, run, worked in the evening, etc. And it was, I was 18 and what happened is my dad had a breakdown. So just very abrupt, very quick. And I went to see him one day and I was explaining like his eyes were very, very different. So his eyes told a different story to what would normally be told. And what was hard for me at that time is none of us understood it. So he had this breakdown. He was saying strange things, different behavior. We didn't understand it. Day later, he called my mom, come meet me. Sort of spoke to her about it. Again, very different for my mom. We didn't know how to deal with it. And, um, I think that day he went to the doctors and the doctors gave him an antidepressant and said, you're depressed, you need to take these. Now my dad was very holistic. He didn't take paracetamols to cure headaches 
any of that. So now he's taking an antidepressant. And I got it wrong. So in a lot of my talks, I said it was 10 days later. My mum reminded me it was only, I think, three or four days after his breakdown um, that he attempted suicide for the first time. Um, he survived that. I don't know how he survived that um, physically. Came round, denied it. Said I would never have done that, etc. Um, came out physically, had no mental health support after that. Um, then found himself um, being sectioned. So he sectioned himself because he was, again, feeling suicidal. So we spent a good, I think, two months visiting him in a mental health unit every single day. Now, this mental health unit was 10 minutes from where I lived, and I never knew it existed. I didn't know what mental health was. I didn't know any of this. And um, it's a scary place. I don't know if any of you have ever been to a mental health unit. I know some of you have. It's a scary place. And all of a sudden, your dad's in there. You're talking to your dad. And my dad looked quite normal in there. He was just doing crosswords, reading, etc. Um, we spent Christmas in there. So again, he was in there over Christmas. And then he, get, he got let out and then got better. You think he gets better, but it's still very distant. Yeah, so he's existing. It's not the dad that I had before his breakdown. Um, and then I think he was on a lot of medication at that time. Again, as a family, we didn't get any support. They, we, didn't, we weren't told he's taking this, he's taking that. He needs to do this, he needs to do that. It was almost like, he's out now, he'll be okay. And um, I think the medication and et cetera was probably just numbing a lot of what he was going through. Um, and we knew that because when we thought he was okay, he was writing a diary. And in that diary was saying a completely different story to what we thought he was going through. So when we went out for dinner, we all thought dad was having fun. In his diary, he was writing how bad he felt and how depressed he felt. Um, and then long story short, it was a, you know, he, he got admitted at a weekend and um, was in the mental health unit. Again, very hard for us to get him into this unit once again. And he got let out on a physical assessment, not a mental assessment, because it was the weekend. They had no one to assess him um, mentally. And it's very hard because my dad obviously wanted to come out. And um, I saw him on the Monday. So I saw him on the 3rd of March. He was very distant, very different. I should have done something then. And then he took his life on the 4th of March, so the day after. And that's the story that I've obviously told, but what I haven't really gone into a lot of detail about is how I then dealt with it, okay? So a lot of people, some of you here might be bereaved by suicide, and a lot of you may have been in that dark place that my dad was in. Now, I've spent years trying to figure out the headspace that my dad was in to do that, and I feel like I've understood it in a way, but I would never truly understand how he was feeling. Does that make sense, yeah? Um, and a lot of you that might have been in that place, what I kind of want to sort of say to you is that there are so many people that have been in that place and have recovered from it. And there is hope, and that's kind of what I want to get across with this. So the way I dealt with it was shit, okay? I dealt with it so badly. Please do not deal with a suicide the way that I dealt with a suicide, because honestly, it was, it was so hard to take. I always say grief is hard, but losing someone that you love who has chosen to die is harder. Simply for the fact is I didn't know how to grieve because for me, my dad made that decision. So I shouldn't be sad because he's got what he wanted to do. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's what I found very hard. So I found out the news at my nan and granddad's house. I knew it was gonna happen as soon as my granddad said my dad's gone for a walk. I knew at that moment that it was gonna happen. But hearing the news obviously, you know, sinks in. 
and I punched the kitchen top, I cried, I got angry, I shouted, and then the emotion stopped, and then all of a sudden, you are in a fish and chip shop, ordering fish and chips for dinner with your brother as life goes on, and no one knows that you've just lost your dad to suicide that night. Okay? Next morning you're walking the dog, someone says morning, life carries on and you're dealing with it inside. And I found it very hard because I didn't grieve, I just bottled it all up and I think men in particular and women, we all have pain, we all have trauma that we just push down, we don't deal with it, we push it to the back and we replace it with short term fulfillment. I always say this, I started to drink more, I went clubbing six days after and put on a brave face, I drank more alcohol, I started a business. That helped me, but at the same time, all it was doing was distracting me from what I was, should have been dealing with. Um, I bought a Ford Fiesta in black, tinted windows from the showroom. Um, again, just because I wanted to show off to my friends. Sitting in that car for the first time made me feel good. Two weeks later, I feel crap again. And it's only short-lived. And I just continued to chase short-term pleasures, just trying to bury what had gone on. And then there was a time where I was struggling. I was struggling to get out of bed in the mornings. I was struggling to sort of wash. I was struggling to just do anything. And I never got labeled as depressed because I ran away from that diagnosis because my biggest fear is that I would end up like my dad. So I didn't want the doctor to say, you've got exactly what your dad had because that for me wouldn't have helped. Um, but I was struggling. I was really struggling to get out of this hole. And um, we were talking about it yesterday. I, d I can't. I can't explain how hard it was in that moment to actually wake up and have any kind of hope to carry on. It's very bleak, it's very dark, and what happens is the cycle repeats. Yeah? It's very hard to get out of that moment when you're in that moment, you try and do something, it doesn't work, you beat yourself up, and then that whole cycle repeats and you get lower and lower and lower and lower. And, um, I experienced some really, really bad thoughts and I think, I've never ever shared this before, this is the first time I've ever shared this, um, I think these thoughts weren't me acting upon suicide, I don't think I would have ever done it, but it was almost me trying to get to a place that my dad was at to understand it more. So there was really hard times when I felt like maybe I could, but I, looking back at that now, I think that was just me trying to picture how he felt in that moment to do what he did. Yeah. And it was only until sort of two years after that moment, I'd seen a counselor on the G GP, I'd seen a psychiatrist, I tried reading, etc. If any of you have seen like counselors before, I saw one counselor, she gave me a book called Depression for Dummies. I said, brilliant, <laughs> I'll dive into this when I get home. Um, I can't remember what the psychiatrist said as well, but you know, sometimes therapy doesn't work because sometimes they push things that you don't want to talk about at that time. And then what happened is I was with um, Amy, who's now my wife, and we were talking and she knew of someone who went to see this lady called Anne. And Anne was this holistic therapist. And I was like, listen to it. And what it was, she gives massage for back problems. So I had a back problem at the time. So I thought, I wanna go see this lady. And then Amy said, she is weird. She's like a witch. She'll know more about you than you know about yourself. For some strange reason, at 21 years old, I was drawn towards this 65-year-old witch who knew more about me. Um, I went to see her, I've got a back problem, sort of the masculine alpha male is in, I've got a back problem, can you sort it out? She gave me a massage, said go see this chiropractor, came back. 
oh yeah, my back still hurts, da da da. And sh then she asked me this question. She said, why are you actually here? I said, I've got a back problem. She said, no, why are you actually here? And then that's when I said, I said, um, something along the lines of my dad killed himself. I don't know how to deal with it. And then I just broke, like tears flooding. I think I flooded her whole bungalow of just brah, huge amount of tears. And it was this huge relief that I'd now been able to say it. And she was very spiritual. And I, I, again, people have different opinions on spirituality. And looking back, I was 21. I was still going lads holidays with all my friends and clubbing. And now I'm reading this book about law of attraction and energies and all of this stuff. And I was drawn to it. And she said something to me the other day that made sense. She said, the reason you was drawn towards that kind of thing is you were trying to understand what happened to your dad. So you were trying to understand where he went and what's now happened to him now he's passed and whether he's still with you. And that was why you was drawn to spirituality. And she helped me massively. She'd give me a book, I'd read it. I'd be like, that doesn't make sense. Throw it away. She'd give me another book, I'd read it. Okay, that makes a little bit of sense. A few months later, she gives me the original book. Now I read it and now it makes sense. And I went on this whole self-awareness thing of just understanding my dad and understanding me. And firstly, when it comes to understanding my dad, I forgave him. I had a lot of anger around my dad for what he did. And that's the thing with suicide, I think that you have. You have a lot of anger towards that person. And honestly, if you're ever in that situation, and I've, I've, it's still my biggest fear, that I would end up like my dad. All I now have to think about is my kids. I have to think about the pain that I would inflict on them the same way that I felt that pain after dad died, yeah? And some of you here have experienced, you know, loss of suicide and it's, it's shit. It's so hard to deal with. And for me, that's the hope that I now have, is that I don't want to inflict that pain onto other people. But forgiving my dad, I have no anger or resentment towards my dad. He, he wasn't well. He didn't get the help that he needed. He should have got so much more help. But the hard thing is, is people didn't understand. I didn't understand. We didn't understand. Um, I honestly think, and I've said this before, my dad should still be alive. My dad should still be here. And I would wish for that every single day. But he didn't get the help that he should have had. And also, we didn't know how to understand it. We didn't know how to deal with it. So for me, a lot of the stuff that I now do is trying to set it up so there is more support there for people that are in the need of my dad. Um, and secondly as well, I forgave myself because again, there's so much guilt that we hold when something like that happens to us. Not just suicide, just things that have happened to us in the past. We hold a lot of guilt, we hold a lot of resentment of trauma that's happened. And for me, what helped me the most was forgiving my dad, but forgiving myself that I couldn't have done anything differently. Okay? Because that's the one emotion that kept playing out in my mind. What did I do? Why didn't I do this? Why didn't I take him into the mental health unit the night before? I could have saved him if I did this differently. But none of that can be changed now. And before I wasn't accepting that, the moment I started to accept and forgive myself, the moment I started to move forward. Yeah? So now I feel like I'm in a good, I'm in a good headspace. There's still days, of course, where you battle it. Yeah? And there's a really good thing that I saw the other day, and I did it in my group. I don't know if any of you in my Facebook group, I actually drew the diagram, and it was terrible. It was like the worst drawing ever. But they say about heartbeat. So your heartbeat does this, okay? And obviously, when we die, your heartbeat is flat, flatlines. When your life is flatlining, it means you're existing. Now, all of us need to experience these ups and down moments for us to actually live and grow as people. So for me, and this is so hard to say, if this didn't happen to my dad, I wouldn't be standing here now. 
I probably wouldn't have started a business. I probably wouldn't have been doing what I'm doing now. I probably, because my dad was very old school, probably would have gone to university, then become a PE teacher. That's what I was going to do. That was my overall aim. And my dad wanted me to do that. So I probably would have lived my life that way. Now, that down moment, I wouldn't wish it on anyone. But of course, if you can pick yourself up again and try and use that in a positive way, that's what I'd always advise to people. There's another moment as well that I haven't really shared. And it was um, a year ago. And just over a year ago now. And some of you know it, some of you don't. Um, I went to Italy to get married. And I got married in Italy. It was an amazing wedding in a villa. Just 20, about 20 of us, just close fan, family and friends. Uh, my brother was my best man. So there's two years difference between me and my brother. And he was my best man. He's always been my best friend. And um, we got back on the Saturday. And my brother went to work. He's a surveyor, so he works on site. And this is on the Tuesday. So we got back on the Saturday. This is on the Tuesday. Um, he was on site and some steel fell from a hoist and landed on him. Um, left him brain damage, fractured his skull multiple times. And um, that, for me, there's a reason why I'm saying this story, was so hard to deal with because one, that happened to my dad, right? And then you get in, you're like, all right, I'm never gonna live, I'm gonna live life to the full. I never want this to happen to me again. Then you just go back to existing, like life becomes normal again. Then you, you take things for granted. And then that happened to my brother. And um, me and my mum went to the hospital in London. He got airlifted to hospital. We were told that he was conscious and that he was okay. So we went with an overnight bag expecting to him to have a bit of concussion. Um, and we got called into a room um, where the surgeon said that they'd been operating on him for um, four hours. And it's the worst skull fracture he's ever seen in his whole life, his whole career. Um, and said that he's, he's very bad. So, you know, he basically said that he was about to die. Um, so obviously my mum, you know, emotions through the roof my emotions through the roof and the lesson that I learned from that is my brother was unconscious without choosing to be unconscious and on that train on the way home I got so angry at someone because there was a pregnant woman who walked on the train and someone was on their phone and they didn't stand up for this pregnant woman to sit down and I, I thought then I thought everyone's living life unconsciously when my brother's had no choice and now he's laying there unconscious and I feel like we can all just get sort of fixated on normal life. Um, my brother was in a coma for, I think, nearly a month. And it was, for me, the lessons there was just be present. Because with a brain injury, they look at the scans. They said, these scans don't look good. He's either going to die or he's going to be in a vegetable state, um, vegetized state. But we never know how he's going to recover. So that's all me and my mum were told. It's like, he could be good, he might die. And you're just living every day in that moment thinking, how is he going to get better? Is he going to get better? Uh, long story short, he started to wake up, um, started to slowly talk. Funny story, just to make it a little bit more, less morbid. Um, when I went on my stag do, so my brother arranged my stag do, him and my two other best friends kidnapped me at five o'clock in the morning when I was asleep and took me to Krakow in Poland, okay? Um, so we're all there, first day drinking, oh, lads, 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 lads. And then um, one of my friends got quite angry in a bar and decided to put his fist through a wall, okay? So he just punched this wall, fist went straight through the wall. Obviously, Polish bars aren't made very well. Um, next thing we know, we're locked in this bar, sort of 
15 of us locked in this bar. I think we're the only ones in this bar because it's like one o'clock in the afternoon just drinking. And um, long story short, a few of us got pepper sprayed, okay? If you've ever been pepper sprayed, it's the worst feeling ever, okay? My friends, this guy's spraying foam. And my friends are like, oh, I just thought it was foam. I thought this guy was starting a foam party. So then I was like, oh yeah, I'll have a bit of that. And then it goes in my eyes and oh my God. I couldn't see for probably a couple of hours. I was crying. My brother was like, let's just go in here and grab a beer. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm never going to be able to see ever again. Um, it, we it wears off with time. And um, my brother started to wake up, but he couldn't talk, couldn't see. Then the next stage was, um, mum came in one day, so he had a, a trachea removed from his um, throat and they said, do you know who this is? And very slowly he said, mum. And my mum's face, you know, I wasn't there at that moment, but she was just saying the best feeling that she's ever had. I went in the next day, scared he wouldn't know who I was. Do you know who I am? Paul. And I was like, oh, thank God for that. Then I thought, I'll test him. I went, what happened in Krakow? And he went, Pepper. <laughs> so yes, his memory's fine. He can't talk much, but his memory's fine. Um, and every day he started to progress. He started to eat slower and slower. Um, and where he stands right now is he, he was in hospital for 11 and a half months, recovering in a rehabilitation unit. Um, he has surprised everyone. My brother's brain scans show that he should either be not alive or not being able to do half of what he's doing. And my brother is the same brother that we've had. He remembers everything, he can talk, he's got the same crap sense of humour that I've got, um, but he's lost a lot of his physical movement. So my mum's his full-time carer, um, he can't obviously walk, he feeds himself a little bit with his left arm but struggles, and he's improving every single day. And we never know where he's going to go. We're hopeful that one day he will walk again. But the reason why I wanted to share that story and that detail is because Seeing him with his mental capacity, but not his physical capacity, is, again, reinforces how important mental health is, okay? Because a lot of people in his unit had the physical ability, but their brain damage had caused them to lose, lose a lot of their mental capacity. So they'd forget, they'd be walking around, they'd have accidents, there's, it's scary what the brain has, okay? There's one guy who, you know, he got better towards the end, but he only had one word that he could say, and that word was fucking hell. All he kept saying was fucking hell, fucking hell, fucking hell. And that was how he would communicate. And he's so sad because his wife said before the accident, he never ever swore. And now his brain accident has caused him to just say that word over and over again. And seeing my brother with his physical health damaged, but his mental health probably more powerful than it's ever been, reinforces me how important it is that we all look after this. Because, you know, it's so important. So I want that to be a lesson to you as well, is to... Be very present, live life as it kind of comes because we never know what's around the corner. And please, I use my brother's inspiration every single day because we take a lot of stuff for granted. Like the other day, the physio was trying to get my brother to do this with his leg. And he was so, putting so much effort into it. It's something that I just do, take for granted, we don't. So gratitude is so important. So I kind of want to, um, you know, sort of say that if you're ever in a really low situation, you know, please have hope. Please know that it can get better. And this meetup today hopefully is perfect for that. I don't want any of you to feel judgment. I don't want ever, any of you to feel like you're alone. You can't share how you're feeling because the more that we can talk about mental health, the more that we can share our stories, and a lot of people will be in a minute, um, the better. I just want to read this. Um, 
I wrote this on the train, okay? <laughs> yeah, it's 10 minutes, you know, 10 minutes, just write my whole speech in 10 minutes. Um, and it's a little thing, I'm going to go into a little bit more detail on this. I've been wanting to do something like this for a while. A lot of people that take their own lives don't leave notes. And my dad never left a note. My dad never wrote um, why he did it. And um, a lot of me wishes that he did. A lot of me wishes that he did just say, you know, it's not your fault, etc. There were little parts of his diary that he was writing that did have little signs in it. Um, but I thought to myself, like, if I could write something to my dad, what would I say? Okay, so if my dad was still here, still, I might cry at this moment in time, um, what would I say? So I wrote this today. I said, Dad, your life is not over. The pain you're feeling right now can be helped. I know it might not seem like it can. In fact, I can't imagine what's going through your mind, but please know that we love you. What's happened in the past can't be changed, and those worries about the future is something you can't control. But please be present with me in this moment as I tell you we love you. Please don't be embarrassed about how you feel or what you've done. You're still my hero, my role model, and you're stronger than you know. And I know it seems like you're going through this alone, but Dad, you're not. Please know that we love you. Should be a poet. Do you think I should be a poet? <laughs> Have I got a future career in poetry? So if you've got this far in the episode, I really want to thank you because that was a long presentation and I really appreciate you listening all the way through to this point here. I would love for you to leave a rating and a review if you found that that was helpful in any way because rating and reviews really help this podcast get exposed more and you know the more people we can hear or more people that can hear about mental health, of course, the better it's going to get. I always say the more that we can do about raising awareness awareness for mental health, the quicker prevention is going to start coming. So please leave a rating and a review if you enjoyed this. Once again, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening all the way through to this point in the podcast. I've got more episodes coming out very soon. Don't forget you can find out more about me and keep up to date with me every single day on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pmcgregor.com or Instagram, same thing, instagram.com forward slash pmcgregor.com. Those two places I'm active daily. So head over there as well now and come and say hi. Speak soon.